0: You are listening to a Proper DBE podcast hosted by Georgia Abrams and brought to you by the Daughters of the British Empire. The Daughters of the British Empire is a 501c3 non-profit American Society of Women of British or Commonwealth birth or ancestry, sharing and promoting our heritage while supporting local charities and our senior living facilities across the U.S. May 8th, 1938. Daughters of Britain in Peace Garden Plan, United States Unit to Maintain Acre on Canadian Border. One acre of the International Peace Garden, established between the United States and Canada, will be maintained by the Daughters of the British Empire in the United States, following the approval of the plan at the National Convention in Jacksonville, Florida. The action was taken at the suggestions of the Imperial Daughters of the Empire, a Canadian organization which has already taken under its sponsorship an adjoining acre, according to an announcement by Mrs. John Hugh Nolan, newly elected head. The crest of the American Society in an inscription will be placed on the plot under a plan in which the 4,000 members in this country will cooperate. The Peace Garden of 2,000 acres, situated between Manitoba and North Dakota, was dedicated by the two governments to commemorate the century of peace with Canada. Further plans for promoting relations between America and Great Britain will be among the topics to be considered at the first meeting of Mrs. Nolan's new board tomorrow at the Biltmore Hotel. Members will also consider means of expanding work now organized in 19 states in the developments of homes for the aged. Three such homes are maintained at present, in Ossining, in Hollywood, Illinois, and in Sierra Madre, California, where a building was opened a year ago. For the Southern District, a home and land already have been bought in Orange Park, Florida. Mrs. Nolan, who was formerly state president, succeeds Mrs. James Darby of Jacksonville, Florida. Her board includes besides Mrs. Darby, Mrs. Ivan L. C. Gooding of Summit, New Jersey, Mrs. Grace Johnson of Brooklyn, Mrs. Bruce White of New York, Mrs. S. Harold Sargent of Philadelphia, and Mrs. Norman Monkhouse of Rutherford, New Jersey. This was a 1938 New York Times article I found, and though we'll be focusing on the first part of it today, I wanted to read the whole thing to highlight how things have changed over the years and to see if anyone recognized any of those names. Now, pour yourself a cup of tea and get comfortable. We have our very first male guest today, and I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Uh, My name is Tim Chapman. I'm the CEO at the International Peace Garden. Um, I'm in my fourth year in this role. Previously, I worked in the newspaper industry as a sports reporter, mostly, and that's what first brought me to North Dakota and the city of Minot. After... About eight or nine years in the newspaper industry, mostly in North Dakota and Wyoming, uh, a friend of mine on the board at the International Peace Garden reached out and she said it might be a a good opportunity with my communications background to come lead the garden uh, into some next big rounds of development, really just trying to carry that mission of peace and peace between countries through to the next generations.
0: Did you have any background in gardening? Did you know anything about that side of things before you got involved?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I actually grew up working in nurseries before deciding on journalism for my college studies. I had really thought about going into horticulture. And then when I um, was ready for a change, I went to the University of Wyoming for a degree in horticulture, which I'm still about 20 credits shy because I got this job. So um, yeah, I love gardens. I love being around plants and was looking to actually get into a career with more hands-on work with plants but uh, this opportunity at the garden came up and although I'm not like really out there planting it's still an incredible place um, to work and live and constantly be surrounded by plants and collections and even though it's in uh, obviously a northern climate gardens can really thrive anywhere if you have the right plants.
0: Following the 1928 annual meeting of the National Association of Gardeners Henry Moore of Ontario's Department of Agriculture came up with the idea for a peace garden. The International Peace Garden was dedicated in 1932 with a Cairn reading, We two nations dedicate this garden and pledge ourselves that as long as men shall live, we shall not take up arms against one another. I also wanted to add that the day after I interviewed Tim, I was at Goodwill, and I found a teacup from the International Peace Garden, and I'll post a picture of it on social media, but... How serendipitous is that?
1: So the International Peace Garden, the idea was incorporated in 1929. At the time, it was a group known as the National Association of Gardeners. And there were folks from New York City and Toronto that came together and came up with the idea of acknowledging the long-standing peace on our border, uh, which is the longest unfortified border in the world. And initially, there was a lot of thought about putting it in Niagara. But fortunately, there were a lot of people in the central part of North America who really thought the garden should be more centrally located uh, between the east and west coast. There was newspaper editors on both sides of the border, including one in Boisenaing, Manitoba, who did a lot of work writing letters Um And just publicizing the idea and the importance of it being centrally located. So in 1932, they actually dedicated the land with a cairn that's still standing. And uh, there's incredible pictures from July 14th, 1932, with just a sea of uh, Model Ts. It might have been a different model, but that style of car. And people came from all over North Dakota and Manitoba and both countries, on uh, really rough roads in the Turtle Mountain region where we are. I think at that point, you know, uh, World War II hadn't started, but there was still a lot of people following World War I who were joining the peace movement and really wanted to recognize the importance of peace, especially between the United States and Canada.
0: Have the missions or goals of the garden really changed at all, or do they still kind of follow the original plan?
1: Yeah, they still pretty much follow the original plan. Uh, the garden's always been a beautiful place every summer for people to visit. And over the now 90 years next year, um, there's been a variety of developments that always tried to keep the focus on the garden being a great place for people to come and enjoy themselves in a nice, both natural and cultivated setting And really contemplate and think about the importance of peace. So that's really what we're all about. But as we look ahead to the next 90 years, we're really focused on being a place that can be the home for a lot more discussion around peace and facilitating um, themes of truth and reconciliation. Each summer, we put together an incredible display with our annual beds and our perennial garden and really invite people to come enjoy it with their families. Uh, it's a place that people of any generation can enjoy and think about and really celebrate peace between the United States and Canada, but on a greater scale, how our countries can um, be an example and invite others to be a part of those important discussions that really need to happen all the time.
0: No, it looks like there's a lot of really cool features and attractions throughout the gardens. Do you have any favorite?
1: Oh wow, there are so many so many cool ones, but one of my favorites is the Peace Chapel, which is one of only three or four buildings literally on the 49th parallel. Um oh, wow. and in a post 9/11 world, it's really hard to build structures like that on the border. So the Peace Chapel was finished in 1970 and it's a beautiful structure that uses Tyndall limestone that was quarried in Manitoba uh, just within a couple hours. And there's 51 quotes from people from all generations and times um, and all different kinds of philosophies. And all those quotes really speak to the themes of peace and cooperation. So that's always a favorite place of mine to just go and sit, but also to show people and um, really start to get people thinking about um, the importance of the theme uh, and how it's it's nothing new. There's been people for thousands of years who have really thought about it and talked about it and pushed the idea of peace. Uh, another one is the 9-11 memorial site, so that's a newer addition, obviously, and one that is a big stop for a lot of people who come to the garden because it's one of those times in all of our lives that you'll never forget where you were and how it impacted and changed the world. And the cool thing about the 9-11 memorial is it was actually Canadians who spearheaded that effort initially and kind of wanting to show that support for their neighbors to the South. And they thought the garden would be a great place to get some of the beams from the twin towers in New York to be a part of that memorial. And every Mm -hmm. year we have a special ceremony on 9-11 that's uh, well attended. And we always really like to promote that thought of, you know, Cooperation, because the Canadians could tell, as everyone could in the world, that the U.S. was hurting in that time, but that we would get through it together. There's a lot of examples throughout the grounds of Americans naming things on the American side of the garden after Canadians, and vice versa. So there is a two primary lakes on the ground. One on the U.S. side is named after W.V. Udall, that editor of the Boys of AIM Recorder, who really pushed to get the garden in our area. And then the lake on the north side is named after one of the original board members who was a judge in North Dakota. So those type of examples are really, Mm -hmm. really great examples of how the garden has always been a cooperative effort. And then if you think about Daughters of the British Empire and a, a variety of other service groups that had chapters in both countries were really the catalyst to get the development of the garden going in the early decades Uh, World War II put a pause to a lot of the development, Mm -hmm. but yeah, when you, when you drive around the two main loops in the garden, you get a real sense of how important it was to a variety of organizations like yours. I think that's what's made it so special is there's so many spots that, um, especially on the South side, the CCC worked on. Mm -hmm. And it's got that iconic look of CCC stone structures that you find in a lot of park settings. Yeah, I
0: actually, I'm an archaeologist by day. And my first experience was in the national parks where the CCC did a lot of work. So I have a soft spot for the CCC.
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, there's still people in our area, probably in their 90s now, who were at that original dedication and still talk about, well, my father, my uncle, or grandfather worked with the CCC in that time to help develop the International Peace Garden. So a lot of people take pride in that, and yeah. um, and they should, because it is such a special, unique place that you don't find anywhere else in the world when it comes to a, a park or a garden, literally on an international border.
0: Other features include fountains, a floral clock, Westminster chimes at the Carillon Bell Tower, the Masonic Auditorium, the North American Game Warden Museum, and Friendship Rock. The Friendship Rock originated in a bluestone quarry, just like those of Stonehenge. It sits on the 49th parallel, the border between the U.S. and Canada, and symbolizes international cooperation. The rock took a tour through the U.K., stopping in Swansea, Cardiff, Salisbury, Woodchurch, and Waltham Abbey, just to name a few places, where it was on display for thousands of people to touch as a way of spreading friendship.
1: The Birch Grove picnic area is the one that is sponsored by the Daughters of the British Empire. It's just a wonderful spot, like all of the picnic areas, but it's one of the areas along the North Loop that borders Lake Storm. And, you know, we, we try to take people, we live on the grounds, uh, my wife and kids, and it's one of those spots we like to go to all the time with big oak trees. And obviously it's a birch forest primarily, but it's it's cool to go through because some some service organizations may not have as much of a presence in our area as they used to, but you get to tell people and visitors, you know, this was, it's an important place. It's always been an important place, but it was such an important place in the early decades that groups like yours decided, Hey, let's be a part of that. And uh, that really makes it special. We're real excited next year to celebrate that big 90th and look ahead to 2032 for the centennial um, and see what groups want to maybe re-engage and uh, get involved again. A lot of the other organizations like the Order of the Eastern Star, uh, the Mm -hmm. Masons, the Women's Institute, uh, these were all groups that were big uh, players when the garden started and really started to develop over the first 90 years. And it's important for us, even if some of those groups don't have the membership they once did, to continue to recognize them because it's their vision and their support that really made the garden a reality. And I think it still serves as a good example that younger generations who maybe aren't as interested or as uh, familiar with service organizations can know that those organizations did and still do have uh, a great impact in reminding us of our history, what makes Canada and the U.S. unique, why places like the Garden still have such an important uh, place in our world. Because it is so special and you can really say it at any time in history, but I think we often all feel like there's never a more important time to talk about peace and uh, institutions like ours that stand for peace.
0: I think it's often easy for us to lose sight of our mission when we're busy sending emails, organizing fundraisers, attending meetings. One thing I hope to achieve with some of these podcast episodes is to remind you Of all the good the DBE has done over the years, and all the good we continue to do. To remind you of that which you became a part. To serve those around us. Not for ourselves, but for the cause.